why do you want that person to invest beyond just the capital? Most founders have never been asked that question. They've been trained, go after a group that's got a lot of capital, get the capital in, and then focus on sales. What if I tell you that 90% of your capital raise process, i.e. how to fund your company, can actually interact with sales and becomes your greatest sales arm? We've had founders that have had $1,000 check writers that grow $1.9 million revenue channels from single intros. We've had founders that have built even larger revenue sources and are pursuing them now from little $67,000 raises and intros coming off that. We found downstream potential acquirers in that process. Like there is so much that founders are missing out on right now because they have never been fundamentally asked a question or even legally been allowed to take capital from somebody unless they're a wealthy individual, an accredited investor or a bank. Just stop it. The run of the mill, cheesy, humdrum bullshit status quo just tires me out. What fascinates me are the industry disruptors, the superhuman frontiersmen or women with errors in their backs who go through hell to achieve their goals. They'll go through anything to make it. They bathe in hell and high water, a cut above. They're intolerant to mediocrity, the status quo, and yet they're the nicest people you'll ever meet. This is Disruption Interruption. Join me as we meet and learn from those mavericks, rebels, and business leaders that aren't afraid to piss off the establishment in order to make radical change for good. This show is sponsored by Johto PR, the disruptive anti-PR firm that murders your competition with cinder blocks and cyanide. Welcome back, everybody, to Disruption Interruption. I'm your host, KJ, and we're here today to talk to another industry leader that has steered off the lame, tired path of the status quo. So get ready to be inspired as we welcome a true disruptor and visionary. Our guest, also known as the head of disruption, is on a mission to empower entrepreneurs and transform their ideas into investable businesses through education, expert guidance, and a strong community, the latter being the number one focus. Since 2016, his journey has been nothing short of remarkable. Starting as an investor in just one startup, he quickly evolved into an investor advisor for over 90 private companies across various industries, from commercial real estate to Main Street and high-growth tech. His passion for creating a world where anyone, including his own children, can fund and build companies together with their community led him to envision a remarkable concept, a community-owned city. Imagine a place where every business, from a simple coffee shop to an aerospace company, is partly owned by the people who call it home. Our guest vision knows no bounds, and he's on a mission to make it a reality. Now, his work is deeply connected to the remarkable impact of regulation crowdfunding, Reg CF. This game-changing legislation has democratized access to capital, allowing everyday individuals to invest in companies they believe in. Join us in this episode as we delve into his groundbreaking vision, his journey to democratize access to capital, and his passion for fostering a community-owned world of innovation and opportunity. Please welcome Will McGuire, founder and CEO of Incolo. Thank you. Appreciate being here, Pidget. Yes, absolutely. Um, You know what? I want to get into this whole, like all the stats of Reg CF, like really what it's opened up for 
you know, investment and startups. But before we get into that, tell our audience, what's your fundamental ingredient for disruptive innovation? Oh, that's a good one. Leaving no rock unturned. Leaving no rock unturned. So tell me more. I have found that often after a system is put in place, very few people ever challenge it. And I've also found the core to disruption in those systems is usually leaving no rock unturned to just unpack that system. So when I say leaving no rock unturned, I mean leaving no rock unturned around understanding why something was built, how it's built and how it can be rebuilt to be better in the future. Were you one of those boys growing up that you would actually take apart your toys or your electronics and, you know, figure out how it was built? Never? (laughs) (laughs) Never had magnifying glasses or, you know, tried to light stuff on fire. Never. (laughs) Nothing. (laughs) So I, I guess this, you know, no stone unturned has probably led you into being very interested in many different businesses because in your innovation, you're not just limited to one industry or even creating a new category of industry. You're across the board. Yeah, that that was actually one of the keys to the foundation for how Encola was formed. It's not based on any one particular industry which is weird because if we think about most investor groups out there or accelerators or people's just preferences, they normally gravitate around like one particular industry. Yeah, that's so very true. So I've specifically designed Encola to be focused on like what you so well put, which is how do you build a town, a city where everything in it from your coffee shop to the apartment complex, to like, I'm in Holly Springs. We have a $2 billion life science facility going into four blocks behind Main Street. And we're a small community, like 40,000 people. Hmm. So how do you get it to where people understand how the system has been built for socioeconomic benefit and the innovation that comes out of that and allow people to participate in every aspect of it? So it had to be industry agnostic to accomplish that. So the traditional models of being specifically industry focused just don't just don't work in this model. Yeah. And, you know, when we talk about this model, right, so you're starting Mm -hmm. geographically with a city. Correct. That was kind of theory behind that was that people are going to get involved around affinities. And one of those affinities can be geography. There's this huge like shift from massive systems to being very localized and so being localized around a city around a state around a region there's a lot of pride and the that's my community that's my town that's my you know broadly speaking and so one of the theories going into this is that i bet um those networks are tightly wound uh one aspect around the geography which also makes it easier not only for founders to raise capital from people, but also for those founders to get the networks they need to help grow their companies. And, you know, on the investor side, obviously as well, if people know other people, that's probably one reason why they're putting money in. Yeah. I mean, it all boils down to relationships, right? Correct. And we all know, like, I'm not saying that, like, (laughs) they don't extend beyond geography and everything else, but I've normally found a good place to start 
is like a home base is, you know, start, start from within and then move out where those networks naturally exist, both physically and can be tangentially felt or like felt, you know, experienced. And the ones that are more virtual that you may have to travel to or you only see occasionally or you have to communicate virtually. But start start with the home base where you can get all the different elements. I love that. And, you know, people love their home base, right? They do. do. Yeah. And affinity is such a strong bond. I mean, it's it's a strong cohesion, right? Big time. Big time. So let's talk about Reg CF. Let's talk about crowdfunding. Okay. You know, this legislation that really like opened up and democratized this access to capital, what has it done impressively and what has it been able to do? Well, one of the most impressive stats, I mean, this just came out because it started officially, <laughs> took four years to pass legislature from 2012, and then it passed May 16, 2016. And so since May 16, 2016, till seven years after that, you know, just recently had the anniversary for that, what was really neat is in that seven years, over $1.9 billion of capital has been raised. Wow, that's a lot of money. It's a ton of money. And it's people are participating more than once from an investor perspective. It's not just a few people. There's been over 1.7 million Americans that have invested this way now. And that's across like 4,000 different companies. So it's it's literally everything that you'd see in a city or town or region. It's everything from dirt, land, real estate, coffee shops, to literally orbitals are being launched into space, the fringes of nanotech and new material science, outdoor recreation venues, like one of the ones I'm part of, so you name it. A really cool world to play, especially for me as a multi-potentialite, because I like a variety of different things. So it kind of teases that whether that's good or bad. What do you call yourself a multi-potentialite? Yeah, I borrowed the world. I freaking love that. <laughs> I, I borrowed the word word from somebody else who was a self-proclaimed multi-potentialite out of Charlotte who said, Oh, well, I also borrowed it from that TED talk, but that's badass. You're a multi-potentialite disruptor. I freaking love it. You know, you mentioned all these like companies, like 4,000 companies or small businesses, you know, across the U.S. Like from what I understand, like Reg CF is really promoting diversity and inclusivity in this entrepreneurial ecosystem because so many minority businesses and small businesses have really been excluded. Can we talk about that status quo? Because that's the biggest thing that sucks. That to me is some of the most interesting stats is that like nearly 50% of the successful issuers, the people, the founders raising capital in this world are women and minorities. And they're actually often outperforming their white counterparts that are male. What's really interesting about that is if you have to ask, if we have to ask like, if we look at every other form of capital, bank capital, grants, traditional like angel group capital, VCs, you name it, just any capital source. What other capital source can we name that's that unbiased? I don't know. You tell I, me. <laughs> I, I couldn't find one. And that's what got me excited too. I have two daughters. I have a son. I have many friends that are not white dudes. It's really cool to be involved in a system where every single effort that 
our founder community, that our team, et cetera, takes on can move towards a more equitable future where everybody's got a level playing field to participate. They're not forced into it, still abides by the market dynamics of what we love about where we live, about being American, about a good capitalistic system Mm -hmm. that provides the opportunity without forcing people into it, but it actually levels the playing field. So people actually can participate in it, which was an issue before. I love that. And I hear level the playing field a lot from disruptors who are, I think disruptors are pioneers that are really trying to do greater good, right? So when we're leveling the playing field, give us some success stories of, you know, ventures that you've been in that really has started to level the playing field. Yeah. One of one of the issues we face in a multiple, and I'm sure this isn't unique to just North Carolina, but in the region in general, you know, there may be pockets where tech companies that are early stage or tech companies that also have a hardware component to them, those are harder to fund. So one of the first companies that we ever worked with uh, named Battery Exchange is basically a red box for battery rental. So imagine your laptop's dying or your phone's dying or you're even in a conference center and you don't want to be tagged to a wall. Imagine instead of having to buy a battery from a kiosk, you can just rent it on demand. Plug it in, charges your system. Fantastic. We're back up and running. So Battery Exchange was getting started. Amazing team that had been in China before and understood the mechanics and how everything works from a supply chain from there to here. And uh, they're just struggling to have a little bit of capital to basically generate revenue and generate more revenue. And everybody was rejecting them. So Desmond Wigan, one of the co-founders there said, Will, like, you know, this is the typical example, like nobody else will fund us, but we believe our community will. And, you know, he said that for various things. It could have been because they're African-American. It could have been because they live in, you know, Charlotte that really doesn't really have a focus on that type of company, et cetera. But the point was, like, we need a broader way for anybody that believes in our future to be able to fund us and potentially share in our upside if we're successful. And that's what they did. They went out. They crushed a raise. (laughs) They were selling into bars and restaurants. They closed around in February of 2020. No way. Right before COVID hit. No way. But get this, the power of having a crowd, guess where they're selling into now? Hospital systems. Wow. So they're in one of the largest hospital systems we have in the state where people and loved ones that are waiting on their family member don't have to have the worrying concern of whether their device is charged and if they can reach other people, they just they just get to go get a battery out of the kiosk and return it when they're done so they can just focus on being there with their loved one. And they're breaking some other spaces too, but that's just a, a simple example of how the crowd came in when nobody else would. Their investors were from all over the country. They're breaking them into new spaces and now that company's thriving. Like, I love that type of world. And that that spans across every industry that we could talk about today. Bam, bam. So what gave you this, you know, impetus to do this? Where you, you know, you looked around and you saw what was missing. You saw what the opportunities were. Like, when was that aha moment? Was it like a, a, you know, a buildup? Was it one day you were like, that's freaking it? Like, (laughs) what is it? I think God had a 
stepping stones in place that I needed to get into this world because there are many conversations to get into it. But I think it honestly started when my wife and I started investing in companies, like not stuff that's on the stock market, but all the stuff before stock market back in 2016. And we hit this uh, conference in Raleigh called Innovate Raleigh um, in Arlen Hamilton who's a VC who raised her first fund when she was homeless on the street, said, I'm looking for the cool old white dude. I was like, that's interesting. I was like, maybe I could be the cool young white dude. Because all she meant was, <laughs> I'm looking for this leveling, this uh, playing field wherever I can participate. I mean, it's the whole reason she started her fund was to try to make VC more accessible to everybody and make it more equitable. And so I went home to my wife, had many preferred beverage conversations with her, and we kept making all these, like, like what we had to do to just leave what we were doing at the time and move on to be an entrepreneur, you know, be an entrepreneurial family again. And finally, the decision point for us was, you know, what right do we have to live up here, you know, with comfortable salaries with, again, a company that I was working for then was a wonderful company. They were public benefit corp. They had donated all their equity to two public foundations. So upon a dissolution event, that that capital would get poured into making other companies that want to do more than just make money for the man. So I left an amazing company doing incredible work for the community. But I said, what right do I have to stick up here and do this when my wife and I know that the model of democratizing that same type of impact to every single individual around what they care about, what their proclivity is, could be far more reaching and far more impactful. And so eventually the, the risk of not pursuing that, especially for my children to say, we did everything to create a better world for you two, and two at the time, now we got three, just like I had to do it. As a father, I had to do it. As an innovator, I had to do it. As an entrepreneur, I definitely had to do it. Like it just, it checked all the boxes, even though the future was very unknown and the entire world at that time was essentially saying this, this model of funding is going away. It won't work. It's only for breweries and restaurants. <laughs> wow. What a great freaking story. You really like tapped into your purpose, but then you took responsibility for it. Yeah, that's a good summary. I didn't, I don't think I'd ever thought about it that way, but yeah, that, that's a good. Leave it to the wordsmith over here. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm the storyteller. Like, <laughs> I'm going to be like off on retreats thinking about that one liner you just gave me there. It's going to like, <laughs> it's going to be great. You know, I really find that people that lean into the responsibility of their purpose as a duty become very successful because they are doing something for the greater good. I mean, duty you're talking about duty here. Duty is yeah. always for the greater good, it, right? It has to be in order to advance society. And I think it's the people that have power and control over whatever aspect of that. They have to be very conscious about how they exercise that power because it can have systemic ramifications as we've seen. Yeah, absolutely. And so when you said, what right do we have? What was that right? Uh, I felt like we had no right to sit up and be comfortable in our salaries, um, or at least mine within a company, even though they're doing great work, when I knew that my impact could be greater felt, or at least where I was being called, could be greater felt by interacting with people that could exponentially amplify that impact. So in other words, if I had just stayed in Richmond, Virginia with that company, I would have had an impact. They're doing great work, and they continue to do that great work. but 
then potentially society would have missed out on all this other great work that's potentially far more reaching exponentially with people I never would have interacted with. And that that risk of not, I didn't have a right to stay in Virginia and be comfortable. That's badass. Thanks. I love that. So when you started out, how uncomfortable was it? <laughs> um, part of it was natural because uh, the natural multi-potentialite possibility, but diving back into entrepreneurship after being out of it for a little while, um, or at least in the formal sense of being a founder, being an entrepreneur, that was a little uncomfortable, but we got very comfortable with the ups and downs and very quickly found what I think most entrepreneurs that probably listen to this program recognize is that there's almost like a rewiring of the brain around every aspect, around what matters with family, around what matters with money, around what matters from impact, about, you know, just living situations, you name it. Like it's a rewiring of trying to focus everything upon the vision and mission at hand um, without trying to denude or hurt others that aren't in that system yet. And that's part yeah. of it. Really changes the perspective, I think, doesn't it? Oh yeah, big time. You you probably know this better than most founders as well, too, just because you've been a founder for a while. So yes, absolutely. It does change priorities and perspectives for sure. So now you have Incolo has like what 90 companies that you guys have ah, invested in, or yeah, tell me, tell me how you started, how you got some, like how you ramped up. Like, get, like let us know. Yeah, so great question. So Encola does not invest in companies. Um, so we're kind of like in disrupting the model. We're like, what does everybody else do? Well, they form a group and then they go raise a fund and then they're subject to the fiduciary of the fund and what the fund has to do. And they run an accelerator program and the whole program is built around that fund. So we did the opposite. We said, well, since the investors will come from the community for the majority, and the founders will probably be the ones that find those investors because that's where the trust starts anyway. How can we price our model? Because we're not going to raise a fund. It doesn't make sense. It'll actually destroy the system for what we're trying to do, at least. Mm-hmm. And so we asked a bunch of entrepreneurs about it. Like, we should talk to our customer. <laughs> and they basically said, well, if you charge us a little bit of cash and a little bit of like upside potential in form of equity or something else, but like kind of unpack all that for us, we feel like that shared risk. We said, okay, great. Well, how's that work? So we just kept like unpacking the onion and we've constantly refined the model, but we essentially help founders raise capital from the crowd and then grow through those networks. And what we found is that 30% of the time, the founders can bootstrap through revenue or capital stack through other sources. They don't have to just do a capital raise. And so by just changing the nature of the dynamics for how the model was built, we gave opportunities and knowledge to founders they had never received until later on when they're negotiating with like bigger investors. Mm-hmm. So stuff like what's a profit's interest? What's a warrant? How's it used? Uh, how do I, like I could go through a list of probably like 10 different things, but a lot of this, this stuff was not being taught at an early, early stage or how to capital stack through Grants, bank debt, private funding, public investment crowdfunding raise, and sequence all those in different orders, you know, whichever way they need to come into Sunday to get done, or what a revenue share is and how you can leverage it and why a bank can't legally offer it, but you can go after it, and how that's beneficial to cash flow for your company and driving sales over just doing an equity round. 
I'd say 95% of my conversations are around just capital stacking methods that are out there because it's not widely taught. It's only taught, get money from a fund, get money from a bank, get money from a grant. And so when you do this, so you're advising them. So they're paying you for the advice. Are you helping them once they get the funds, like figure out like what the best use for it? Do you finally, do they, do they know that like the best use for it to help them like expand quickly? Like what else do you do in this besides, you know, cap stack advice? Yeah. And everything we do centers around uh, two specific questions. And we can't, since we're not a broker dealer, since we're not an investment advisor, since we're not legal or a platform, like we can't really give specifics on like their structure for how they go after it, mm-hmm. but we can show them a lot of examples. We can also unpack and help them unpack how that may be helpful for them and guide them around how you go after that stuff. So for example, mm-hmm. fundamental question we ask founders, everything centers around. If you can raise capital and ambassadorship for your company from anyone, regardless of wealth status. So $100 check writer side by side with the $250,000 check writer. Yeah, we've done that before. Or I will say founders have done that before. Why do you want that person to invest beyond just the capital? Most founders have never been asked that question. Mm-hmm. They've been trained, go after a group that's got a lot of capital get the capital in, and then focus on sales. What if I tell you that 90% of your capital raise process, i.e. how to fund your company, can actually interact with sales and becomes your greatest sales arm? We have had founders that have had $1,000 check writers that grow $1.9 million revenue channels from single intros. We've had founders that have built even larger revenue sources and are personal now from little $67,000 raises and interest coming off that. We found downstream potential acquirers in that process. Like there is so much that founders are missing out on right now because they have never been fundamentally asked a question or even legally been allowed to take capital from somebody unless they're a wealthy individual, an accredited investor or a bank. Wow, what a missing opportunity. Like a huge misstep. It's huge. And it's a lot more fun. Like if we're not so focused on like, like obviously you want the bigger check. I'm not trying to denude like the value of angel capital or VC capital or bank capital. Like awesome. Like take all of it (laughs) collectively if it's vision aligned. So what happens when you've got vision aligned capital sources that are all having fun together? They know the transaction of what happens if the business is successful. I'm a conscious capitalist. I love the fact that People can share in the potential upside of this if they invest. Obviously, like most companies fail. This is not investment advice. I should probably do this disclaimer now. <laughs> no, not <laughs> people that should invest because most companies do fail. It's not a world for everybody. You will lose money on some investments in this world if you participate in potentially the majority of them. But how great from a founder perspective and a community perspective that you can literally leverage the power and the network of the entire community regardless of check size to grow your company. That's, That's never, badass. I know it's never been at the disposal of founders because even before the 1930s, even though it was, we didn't have social media. We had newspapers. We right. had like Telegram. We had, you know, literally write this thing called notes on paper and like send them to people. <laughs> but the ability for a, a person with a heavy influence around medical tech or nanotech or whatever you name it 
to put out a post and have hundreds of thousands of people engaged on that post and then to pair that person with operators who are around companies around that type of innovation and then to be able to raise capital and generate awareness around a sale, you know, something you're selling and pull those people on as customers like that has never been available in the history of the planet. And that's what Encoded Helping Founders tap into. And so to me, it's more about, I want my children and others in the community, if they've got an idea and they've got solid focus around growing that idea, and they're willing to go after the network of people, both team, advisors, investors, ambassadors, you're going to help grow it. Like, why should we have a system that prevents people from participating in that process? Go after it. Like, you can do that now. So founders have been restricted in the freedom they had for the past 80 years because we had law set in the 30s that prevented it. And not freaking okay. No, definitely not okay. <laughs> so where did you get the idea of Incolo? Like the name Incolo? Ah, great question. By the way, we do have a disclaimer for people taking advice from this podcast. Oh, good. <laughs> okay. okay. We I'm do have the- a legal disclaimer. I just want you to know. Good. So I'm not the only one warning people out there. You should, this is not advice to go invest in companies. No, no. And because we are also a communications firm, we also have to (laughs) advise them on on communicating. So, so um, I think we had outgrown our name. So one of our, our our previous name was Crowdfund NC, which was cool because it talked about crowdfunding, which was good for awareness, but NC wasn't our only focus. Um, sure, I mean, like we're one of the fastest growing economies in the nation. And we have founders like all over the globe. They're looking like how to grow through here. So it's a it's a great place to have a headquarters. Um, and just fundamentally being from North Carolina, like it's an area that I love. So I love, you know, introducing people to it. But we have founders that we help from all over the nation. So we're like, what brand name can like represent this new world? So we jumped into a room. Um, and did what you know several people advise doing, which is throw a bunch of adjectives on the board that <laughs> represent your potential brand. So we had like innovative, connected, community, local, um, some stuff like locality. So not just adjectives. And then one of our uh, little people that had participated in one of the programs we were doing with youth said we're juicy. Um, <laughs> I think she was like 13 or something like that. But anyway, we threw all those adjectives up on the board. And uh, Eric from our team was like, well, I guess we got to go combine these. And Anya went up and she said, Incolo. And me being a young CEO and a you know, somewhat linear focused founder is like, ah, oh, it can't be that easy. <laughs> you know, I actually like threw down the name. I'm still embarrassed about that, but I've kind of gotten over it. Anya and I laugh about that still. Um but she threw up in Cologne. I was like, ah, it can't be that easy. It's got to be like one of these others. So we went off for two days and we came back and none of us could think of a name that we liked. So we're like, let's just go with that Incolo word. And Anya was on her laptop and said, hey, guys, uh, you won't believe this, but Incolo is actually a word. We're like, what? That thing that I don't have it. went up to the board and picked like two, two letters of everything. She's like, yeah, it's actually a word. You'll never believe what it means. <laughs> So we're sitting there waiting. She's like, it means to cultivate or I Uh, cultivate. So we're like, 
Heck yeah. We cultivate yeah. co-invested communities or we cultivate communities. And what we found before officially launching, we still went to a bunch of our founders we worked with and said, what do you like about the name? Do you like it better or worse? Why? And they said, what we love about it was that since it's built on adjectives and it's got that fundamental root, that the IM, the CO, the LO means different things to different founders and different things to different communities. So Incolo, whether you pronounce it Incolo or some other version, or whether it's innovative, connected, you know, locality or whatever, it can be multiple different words. And founders love that they could apply that to the context of what they're going through. So that is badass. I absolutely love that. Incolo. So yeah. glad I asked that question. Yeah. My other question to you is you're democratizing access to capital pretty much, right? Correct. And, you know, access to capital for minority businesses, women-owned businesses, you know, things like that, that traditionally have not had access, right? When people come to you, um, is it daunting for some of them? Like, I don't know anything about this. Like, you've mm-hmm. got to educate me from the ground up. Like, Oh, yeah. And what, what's funny about that is whether somebody is really good at the financials or really terrible at them, you know, just from a, it's not their zone of genius or it is their zone of genius. The, um, the daunting part is normally really well received by how do I go find the people that can help me be part of my team? You know, not only like right now, but in the future. And how do we use this opportunity to help pull them in and pull other people in? So every entrepreneur we've ever worked with, just, I don't know, just natural, I guess, just natural founder type, natural entrepreneur type. We're like, great. How do we go after it and use it as a way to grow the company, not just for funding? And so all the minutia and the terminology just kind of gets unpacked in that process. And the understanding of how that can help impact their company, part of it that's important is realized during the process of raising, a lot of it, 90% of it probably gets discovered after because you always have that story that's like, oh, we just closed our round. And I had like this, you know, 10 people reach out and say, oh, we just missed it. Are you opening again? Or you'll get that call from the investor that's like, this happened for one of our um, companies we worked with. They're a nanotech company raised a million bucks from the crowd prior to us meeting them. And they had so much success with their first round with every investor who invested was pretty much an engineer. So guess what? They need to be connected to manufacturers. All their investors were primarily engineers and understood that. Great. (laughs) They had so much success from a sales traction standpoint that they came to me as my invest in their company and said, hey, we want to work with Encola primarily to run another raise, but we're not so concerned about the capital. We want the right people who make more intros. We want our whole capital raise to be focused on, if you've got an intro to make, we want you in the round. Mm-hmm. So it like completely flipped. They're one of the few companies that's ever approached me purely just for that. Um, and they're they're absolutely uh, doing amazing work out right now. They've got tech that uh, I don't know if you've heard about, but the PFAS forever chemicals the toxic mm-hmm. forever chemicals that just kind of aggregate in the body. It's become a huge topic. Estimated cleanup uh, right now is $250 billion with current methods. And their new material um, tech, their new innovation nanotech can literally not only pull it out of water, but break it down on site 
at room temperature and room pressure, which to our knowledge, nobody else in the entire world can do. And guess wow. what? They got a whole crowd of people invested in twice. Wow. That are sharing in that potential innovation of what's coming. Amazing. So like Amazing. stuff like that, just the deep science, the stuff that's unknown. It's like if I asked you what silicon was, you'd be like, oh, yeah, it's the stuff that you know goes into our chips that powers our laptops. You know, what's iron? Everybody understands that, but like a new nanotech, nobody's really heard of. Right. Just because it's early, nobody's heard of it. But imagine what's going to happen 20, 30 years from now when it's commonplace in everybody's vocabulary. Right. You know, this is what gives me such hope after the pandemic, you know, the suppression of the pandemic globally. And there's just these catalysts that have come out of it to make the world a better place. Yeah. It's amazing. I don't yeah. know how many times I've said amazing in this episode, but if anybody counts it um, and sends it in, we'll send you something. We'll I mean, send you some tchotchke. <laughs> I love that. Maybe we, should, uh, maybe we should take a drink after every time. So. Yeah, right? <laughs> I wouldn't be able to talk. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, okay. Outside of Encola, what are some of your crazy passions? I know you're a dad of three. So uh, tell uh, me. I, I love taking in our 11-month-old and the uh, jogger or the stroller, whatever they call it, and just jogging with her. Um, sometimes the six-year-old sits on top of the front of that. It gets really hard. <laughs> it's That's great training. resistance it's training. Yeah. And then my son <laughs> uh, loves soccer. So he's in the soccer. Our, our, again, our middle daughter, our middle child, who's um, six, she just got into gymnastics. I love seeing them explore that world. One of my favorite things was, uh, aside from seeing them all kind of like where they like to participate, even the 11 month old, is uh, we took, uh, I had a father son trip just last week with my 10 year old son. And he and I went out to North Cove, where again, community owned and my partner out there. And uh, we're like, hey, let's just throw on a zipline. It'd be fun. So, father son, we just went out there and did all the research. We built some ziplines before in our past. And like, hey, let's just go throw a low, you know, grade, you know, three degree grade, simple zipline out there just to have fun as father and son. And so we got to do that together and explore together and also help uh, start our stout tent rental uh, <laughs> operation out there. So we stayed in our stout tent. So we're starting to rent out to the community as well. And that was a really cool night underneath the stars, hearing all the you know, natural elements around and waking up and zipping that stout tent up open it up and just seeing the sun come over the mountain ridge. Like that's beautiful. Replace that type of experience with the sun and then seeing him on like the golf cart just driving around. <laughs> that's um, awesome. But then, How did he like zip lining? Uh well it, that one we we had our uh, first failure quick to fail so we gotta go fix it but we didn't quite put the incline on it we need but once we go put the incline we'll enjoy it a lot more. Okay. <laughs> it's a quick fix. <laughs> oh my goodness but he likes All right. overall. that's awesome okay so tell people how to get a hold of you uh just reach out to me on linkedin uh pretty easy to find or uh email me at will at incolo i-n-c-o-l-o dot i-o um but you're you william mcguire on linkedin william mcguire yeah. on linkedin yeah yep. all right great any last words of wisdom, advice, motivation that you want to leave our listeners with today? Yeah, they should go on your podcast. 
Like oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, just the interactions we've had outside of just the podcast, just being able to talk founder to founder. And it's like, you know, we both had areas of uh, both areas of interest, but just also areas where we could help accelerate each other's businesses talking through. Oh, I've never tried this or I've never tried that. Like I found that in sexually valuable. So I think just in general, people should reach out to you, too. <laughs> um, Thank you. But. I don't know. Words of wisdom. Don't leave any rock unturned. I mean, seriously, if you can pursue it and it's a valid way, logical way of driving traction for your business and you can test it, like, why would you not do that? So. I love that. I absolutely love that. Yes. I think that is probably one of the best lessons. I'm so inspired. Let's talk after the podcast. Let's do it. Uh, well, I think we still have a follow-up schedule too to talk about. I think we do. Founder, so. <laughs> yes. Fantastic. Hey, Will, thank you so much. And thank you on behalf of my listeners. I know they're going to love this. No rock unturned. Welcome. Thank you. That's a wrap, everyone. If you learned something today or laughed at Will and I, Go tell someone about this podcast and tell people to go disrupt their markets with a tidbit from this show. Thank you for listening to Disruption Interruption, where we transform lives, change consumer behavior, alter economics, and never accept the status quo. Ciao for now. Because we live in a highly litigious society with America being one of the top litigious countries in the world, here's our legal disclaimer. This advice is not intended to be a substitute for professional public relations or legal advice. Do not disregard seeking professional legal healthcare or financial advice or delay seeking professional PR or legal advice because of something you've heard here. Contact an attorney to obtain advice on any particular legal issue or problem. Use of this podcast or our website or any of its social media or email links. Do not create an agency client relationship between Joto PR and the user.